Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere, like at your pregame barbecue. While you prep your meats, that grease trap you forgot to empty is prepping to smoke your porch, garage, and the car inside. And without the right home and auto insurance coverage, the cost to repair this could eat up your savings. So bundle home and auto with Allstate to save and get protected from mayhem like this. Bundled savings variant are not available in every state. Coverage is subject to policy terms and conditions. We are welcoming a new show to iHeart and the DraftKings YouTube channel. It is called Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano. It's an insider's look at the NBA and the culture surrounding the league. Every week, the five-time All-Star and the number one pick in the 2010 NBA draft, John Wall will give his unique perspective on the hottest topics in the league and tell the best behind-the-scenes stories from his time in the NBA. So check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, the DraftKings YouTube channel, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Kevin Hart here. This basketball season, Chase Freedom Unlimited is helping me cash back on everything, even the sound system that auto-tunes the game. Curry from way downtown. Defense. Will the owner of a red sedan please visit guest services? Bet you've never heard cash back and sound like that. Cash back like a pro with Chase Freedom Unlimited. Chase, make more of what's yours. Restrictions and limitations apply. Cards are issued by J.P. Morgan Chase Bank and a member FDIC. The Volume. Lakers Tonight is presented by FanDuel Sportsbook. There's no better place to make every moment more than with FanDuel. You get great odds in markets for the NBA, NHL, college, and so much more. It's America's number one sportsbook. It's super easy to use. Plus, you can combine multiple bets from the same game into a same-game parlay. If you are new, just download the FanDuel Sportsbook app to get started now. Sign up with promo code JasonT so they know I sent you. 21 plus and present in Arizona, Colorado, Connecticut, Indiana, Louisiana, permitted parishes only, Michigan, New Jersey, New York, Tennessee, Virginia, or West Virginia. First online real money wager only. Refund issued as non-withdrawable site credit that expires in 14 days. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text NEXT STEP to 53342 in Arizona. 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat in Connecticut. 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com slash RG in Colorado, Indiana, New Jersey, and Virginia. 1-877-770-STOP in Louisiana. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY to 467-369 in New York. In Tennessee Redline, dial 1-800-889-9789 in Tennessee. Visit www. 1-800-GAMBLER.NET in West Virginia. All right, welcome to Hoops Tonight, presented by FanDuel here at The Volume. Happy Wednesday, everybody. I hope all of you guys are having a great week so far. Today is my last full day on the lake, getting in the car, driving to Seattle tomorrow. And then uh, we board the cruise ship, I believe, the following day. We're just spending the night in town. I've never been to Seattle. I've been told to try out the 
clam chowder at the Pike Place Market. So I plan to do that. Um, just in general, this trip has been a really nice getaway so far. Having a good time. Never been to Alaska. Looking forward to that. Today we're doing a mailbag. Um, I sent out the request for questions yesterday and we got 60 uh, questions. Obviously not going to be able to get to all of them. I picked out about 20 that I liked. We'll see how <laughs> how many I can get to in the next hour or so. I do want to start doing a lot more of this kind of stuff though. So for those of you that I missed your question or for whatever reason I can't get to it today, I promise we're going to do a lot more of this kind of thing. I'd like to have it be kind of a regular part of our show just because I want this to be as interactive as possible. I want to talk about the game the way I want to talk about the game, but I also want to talk about the game the way that you guys want to talk about the game. Um, so we're starting with uh, the first question. This one is, uh, and I'm going to butcher some names today, so I apologize in advance. This one is from Panagiotis Tempakis. I'm guessing that's a Greek name. Uh, why is there so much disrespect on the best NBA player, Giannis Antetokounmpo, by other players? For example, what Andre Iguodala said. Now, this is a recurring phenomenon throughout NBA history. Giannis isn't the first guy this happened to. I mean, look at the way that the league treated Steph when, when he was rising. Look at the way the league treated LeBron when he was rising. It's, it's, it's a couple of different things. Anytime any young player or young person comes into an industry and starts to, you know, be a mover and shaker, start to elevate, especially faster than his peers, there's going to be pushback. That's a normal part of it. I think one of the reasons why it's especially tough for Giannis is because he has a set of physical tools that would make any NBA player jealous. And you saw that from Andre Iguodala in that quote. You also saw that from James Harden with the whole running and running and dunking quote, right? Like when you're almost seven feet tall with super long arms, you know, incredibly well built, a good body type in the sense that, you know, like there, there are guys out there that are like lean and, and chiseled. And then there are guys that are like a little bit doughy. You know what I mean? Like Giannis is as, as immaculate a physical specimen that you will see in the NBA. And it absolutely helps him in every facet of the game. And so there is going to be a certain amount of jealousy that comes with that. I do think that people underplay how hard it is to be as good of an athlete as they are. Like, I mean, all of you guys who listen to this show that are hoopers, you guys have probably all met a 6'7", 6'8", 6'9", type of athlete that for whatever reason just never materialized into much of a basketball player because they couldn't put the other pieces together maybe they weren't physically aggressive enough maybe they didn't take good enough care of their body maybe they didn't become skilled enough it's it, I think as much as Giannis is very blessed in his natural abilities he also has worked extremely hard to get as good at the game of basketball as he is. So I, 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 I don't believe in minimizing that, but make no mistake, it's a basic psychological phenomenon. He's new to the scene. He's better than everybody. Like you guys know me, I think that Giannis is the best um, player in the league by a pretty decent margin. I'd put him in a tier by himself atop the league with the Steph, LeBron, KD guys kind of just in that level right beneath him. That's how good I think he is. So it's not a issue of respect. I'm just calling out the what I believe is a typical psychological phenomenon. He's new, he's kicking everybody's ass, and he's got this ridiculous set of physical tools that no one else in the league has. And so a lot of people are jealous. And that's just kind of normal human behavior at this point. Like, as is always the case, just like it was with Steph and with LeBron, he'll eventually get his due respect as he kind of has consistent success throughout the league. And also, he's just a really good person. So, I mean, there's just not a whole lot of reasons to dislike him. 
Secondly, this is from Mock Fraud Chowder. What are your thoughts on the Clippers for next season? I personally believe them to be title contenders with Kawhi and PG coming back being their two big scoring wings, tons of depth, good shooters, and they go small and switch sliding Covington to the five in the playoffs. I mentioned this right after the season, but uh, I, I view the Clippers as the number one threat to the Warriors to come out of the West next year. Now, the Warriors have not had a good offseason overall. Uh, the Dante DiVincenzo signing is fine, uh, but to lose both Gary Payton II and um, Otto Porter Jr., who were significant role players for them in the playoffs, that's an issue. Now, you absolutely need Moses Moody to come in and slide into one of those roles. I don't think Jonathan Kaminga's ready, and then you need Dante DiVincenzo to be what Gary Payton was for you, which was, I don't know that he can. Gary Payton Jr., is, Gary Payton II is one of the best defensive guards that we have in this league. And I've told you guys this before, if you look on the on-off numbers for the way that the Warriors played in this playoff run, with Gary Payton on the floor versus with him off the floor, there's a huge difference there. So it's I don't love the offseason for the Warriors this year, but I still think they're the favorite in the West. But I think the Clippers are right there. I think they're the biggest threat. They I've talked to you guys about this before, but I view them as the quintessential modern basketball team. I think they're extremely well run from the top down. They're willing to spend money. The people that make uh, decisions for their basketball operations department are people that understand the game of basketball and people that actually are plugged into what succeeds in modern basketball. They're very well coached. I'm a huge fan of Ty Lue. Um, I think he's doing a much better job here than he did even in Cleveland. And in terms of talent, they're kind of perfectly built, very switchable, but at the same time, they can run drop coverage with Zubac, uh, Zubats, right? Like they've got uh, guys that can pressure the rim consistently, like Kawhi Leonard. Paul George has gotten a lot better at that over the years. They've got good perimeter shooting. They've got guys that can attack closeouts, guys that do the dirty work. To me, they're kind of like a perfectly constructed basketball team. The issue with them is always going to be health. Paul George just kind of seems to have issues like this all the time. It's like it was used to be his shoulder, and then this year it's his elbow. You know, there's just always something going on with Paul George. And then, I mean, there's all sorts of mixed intel on the Kawhi Leonard stuff. I've heard people who are connected, who are who have uh, sources that say that his knee's all messed up and it's degenerative. And then I've heard people say that he's fine, so who the hell knows? To me, that's just classic Kawhi keeping a tight circle. But health is always going to be their biggest problem. And then when push comes to shove at the end of a, any sort of tough competitive playoff series, they don't really have fantastic playmakers. Kawhi Leonard and Paul George are great at looking for their shot. They're not great at you know consistently making great reads against elite locked-in defenses that take away the easy stuff. Um, they're so good everywhere around that that they're still every bit as much of a championship contender as any of the other teams in the league. But that's their big weakness, and we saw that against Denver in the bubble when they fell up, when they came up against a real chess match, uh, chess master Nikola Jokic, they couldn't go blow for blow with him, and it ended up costing them. But make no mistake, I think the Clippers are absolutely a championship contender, and I think they're probably the second best team in the West behind Golden State, and their biggest threat to to be upset. <clears throat> this one's from Ryan. Hey Jason, Joe Lacob says the luxury tax penalties on the Warriors are unfair. Do you agree? Absolutely, I agree. I mean, we talked about this a little bit with Colin Coward after the last uh, NBA Finals game, but it doesn't make sense that you can be punished for drafting so well that all of the players that you picked ended up needing large salaries. And now you get squeezed and you end up losing a quality player. You know, even like a good player like Gary Payton II. Like, nobody in the league was willing to give Gary Payton II a chance. The Warriors did. 
he manifested into like a quality NBA playoff role player and they had to let him go because they couldn't afford to keep him. That's unfortunate that it works that way. It is what it is. I don't know that there's a perfect system. I've heard a bunch of different things like what if you could keep your stars in a separate salary cap? Colin Cowherd has advocated for you know your salary cap only being used on the mercenaries, right? Like if you sign free agents, you should have a limitation in what you can sign. But players that are under team control that you drafted, maybe you can have a separate you know, kind of salary system for that. I'm a proponent of any of those things because in general, I want to reward, you know, competence. I don't want to reward incompetence. I want teams that do the right things, that, that, that hire the right people, that put in the work. I want them to be able to be the beneficiaries of the system. I don't want them to be the people that get penalized by the system. So I, I don't like the way that it works, but it is what it is. And it's unfortunate that it's going to end up squeezing the Warriors out of some quality role players. <clears throat> this is from, I've, this is a nameless account, so we're not going to give the name. The Bulls are wasting their time with their current roster. How do you think they could move things around and compete legitimately? I don't think they're wasting their time. I mean, again, guys, I've been over this with you guys before, but over the last, what, 10, I, I believe if I remember correctly, eight of the last 10 titles are Steph and LeBron, and then the other two are Kawhi and Giannis, right? I think it's it might be nine in the last 11, actually, is what it is. So uh, eight of the last 11 are Steph and LeBron, and then the other three are Kawhi and Giannis. So, like, there's the, the top guys in the league are winning the trophy, and there's only, like, five or six of those guys. So not everybody, you know, the Bulls can't just be like a, oh, we need LeBron, oh, we need KD, oh, we need Giannis. So you gotta you gotta you gotta go for it with whatever you've got. I actually like the core. DeRozan and, and Levine, I think, are fine. The 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 big thing is, you know, and, and injuries ended up being what derailed them this year. Early in the year, when they had Lonzo Ball and Alex Caruso defending on the perimeter, they were damn good. They were very good. As I've said before, I, I think I think that perimeter defense is the most valuable skill in all of basketball. That, that's literally that perimeter contain is what prevents that initial dribble penetration that causes your defense to go into rotation where bad things start happening. So like the way the, the way that I see it, um, um, you can't really make a clear judgment of what this Bulls team is capable of until Lonzo's on the floor, until Alex Crusoe's on the floor. And then in the front court, they need somebody to do that for them as well. Patrick Williams is that guy. That's That's what he's supposed to be for them. He's supposed to be their... 6'8", do it all forward, who can guard the bigger wings and, and, and cause damage around the back line and, and, and be an impact rebounder and all of those things. So, like, well, ideally, if, if I had to make one uh, significant change, I would look to flip Vucevic for more of a dirty work type of forward, a forward that is, is more capable of, of holding down the interior in terms of the physicality of the position. And I'm not sure what the the right answer there is. I'd, I'd have to think. I would like. So what I would look for is 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 someone in that like Clint Capella type of archetype, just a a really high level, athletic, uh, rim running center that can uh, block shots around the basket, screen and roll to the rim hard, and defend and drop coverage, things along those lines. The uh, Vucevic is just going to get killed in that role too frequently, and and I don't know that. I don't know that there's a, a easy answer out there, but I think if they get Caruso and if they get Patrick Williams really dialed in um, as their athletic forward, and if they get a good, you know, athletic rim protecting center, 
all of a sudden that Levine and DeRozan combo is very interesting. DeRozan's a very good playmaker. Zach Levine's a very efficient scorer in this league. And both of them have defensive shortcomings, but as long as you have guys around them that can succeed, you got a chance. Do I ever think they can be a top-tier contender? No. But if they do those things that I just mentioned, I absolutely think they could be in that second tier, which is like the, if things break right, we can win tier, right? Like the Phoenix Suns two years ago, they would be similar level of talent to what I just described as the idealized version of the Chicago Bulls. They were two wins away from the NBA title. And if it wasn't for Chris Paul collapsing the way that he did, they very well could have won, right? So I, I, I'm, I'm not as low on the Bulls um, as that particular nameless account is. All right, this is from Aniket Mohan, who I believe has been supporting the show for a while. Um, so we appreciate the question, Aniket. Um, thoughts on Steph's comments on the Warriors being better than the Kobe Shaq Lakers. So in general, I, I'm not a huge fan of these types of comparisons just because they're very subjective and extremely difficult to establish parameters. Like what rules are we playing by? How are they officiating the game? Are we going with like playoff physicality the way they did uh, it towards the end of this playoff run? Because if that's the case, I'm, I struggle to think that the Warriors would be able to handle Shaq and Kobe physically, right? But if it's a more open, free-flowing, up-and-down-the-floor type of game, like Steph, Clay, and Draymond are going to run these guys off the floor with their speed up and down the floor and covering ground on the perimeter, right? So it's tough to say. But at the end of the day, like, you know, I, everyone has heard the, 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 the phrase styles make fights, right? Well, I, I view it more as like any style. Some styles have advantages over other styles, but any style is capable of beating any st- the other styles. It's just a question of the style that the game takes. So, for instance, if you've got a big bruising team in the Lakers and you've got a fast finesse team in the Warriors, it really just uh, it's up to which team kind of commands the, the flow of the game. If the Lakers could strangle the game, keep it in the half court, and consistently feed Shaq without him getting tired in an up-and-down type of game covering too much ground, I'm sorry he's just going to physically pulverize you, right? But if the Warriors can keep the game fast and loose and get out and transition a lot, Shaq, is, his impact is going to tank compared to what he's going to be like in a slow half-court game. So it's hard to say. I don't really have an answer to that question. Um, if gun to my head, I've always said that the, the 2017 Warriors that – KD, Steph, uh, Clay, Draymond, Iguodala uh, lineup, the Hamptons Five, that to me was the best basketball lineup, best basketball team that I've ever seen. So I personally would take them. Uh, but again, like if if the game, t- if the series or the game takes a certain shape, the matchups could end up swinging back towards the Lakers. Um, this is from Roey Daydon. Lakers, shouldn't they try trading Taylor Horton Tucker for Patrick Beverly? in Russ for Buddy Heald in some three-teamer versus going for Kyrie. Bev and Buddy are somewhat similar to Caruso and KCP. Kyrie gets bought, maybe Kyrie gets bought out, question mark. I I disagree. I uh, A couple things. First of all, uh, KCP was an excellent defensive player. Buddy Heald is not. Uh, Buddy Heald is a better offensive player than KCP, so they're not really all that similar. I do agree in the sense that Patrick Beverly could do some of what Alex Caruso does just as a perimeter contained type of guy. Um, no matter what, I think these guys should be fallback options. I, there's another question that was in, I, I didn't pick it, but it, or, or maybe it's in my list later on, but somebody asked me like, what do you value more offense or defense? And I'm always going to value the offensive end more, um, to a certain extent, even though I do value defense, because I think you can manufacture defense in a way that you can't with the offensive end of the floor. Like a, you can play hard and coach up a defensive player, right? 
but you can't play hard and coach up what Kyrie Irving can do with the basketball. That's a, uh, an otherworldly talent that is carrying him there. When it comes to a playoff setting, if you have Kyrie Irving, you can manufacture a, a small defensive roles for players like Austin Reeves and Stanley Johnson and Juan Toscano Anderson and Troy Brown Jr. and all this kind of stuff. It's very, it, it's it's difficult. It's going to be a challenge. Darvin Ham's going to have his work cut out for him there, but it's doable. But what you can't do is run out there with Buddy Heald and with and Miles Turner and with Patrick Beverly or whoever it is and then try to manufacture what Kyrie Irving can do. What Kyrie Irving can do with the basketball in a playoff setting is impervious to defensive scheming. It's 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 an unbelievable weapon to have in your bag. It can be a problem if you're the Brooklyn Nets and you absolutely desperately need him to be amazing every night, but alongside LeBron James and Anthony Davis, he wouldn't need to be. I would target Kyrie Irving no matter what as the primary option. If it goes south, you default to some combination of Buddy Heald, Miles Turner, or whatever role players you can get out there. The other guy I'd really look at is uh, Boyan Bogdanovich from the Utah Jazz as just a, a guy who's a big forward. Uh, I'm not wor- His foot speed struggles to cover on the perimeter against quicker guys, but he's good at guarding bigger, stronger forwards. So uh, with Anthony Davis on the back line, I actually think he's a nice fit there, just like he was in Utah uh, with Rudy Gobert. But that's another type of guy I would look at. But no matter what, Kyrie, first priority, backup plan is role players. Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere, like at your pregame barbecue. While you prep your meats, that grease trap you forgot to empty is prepping to smoke your porch, garage, and the car inside. And without the right home and auto insurance coverage, the cost to repair this could eat up your savings. So bundle home and auto with Allstate to save and get protected from mayhem like this. Bundled savings variant are not available in every state. Coverage is subject to policy terms and conditions. Warm weather brings many outdoor activities. Happy hours after work, weekend hikes, pool parties, and family barbecues. With all that time spent in the sun, we're often not thinking about what it's doing to our hair. Those rays can seriously affect your scalp and hair, making right now the perfect time to start taking Nutrafol to help keep your hair healthy this summer. Nutrafol is the number one dermatologist-recommended hair growth supplement, with over 1 million people seeing thicker, stronger, and faster-growing hair with less shedding. Thinning hair is different for men and women, so a one-size-fits-all approach to hair growth doesn't cut it. Nutrafol has multiple formulas that are tailored to give your hair what it needs to grow based on your biology, life stage, and lifestyle factors. Physician formulated with drug-free ingredients, Nutrafol supports healthy hair growth from within by targeting key root causes of thinning, stress, hormones, environment, nutrition, lifestyle, and metabolism through whole body health. With Nutrafol, building a hair growth routine is simple. Purchase online, no prescription or doctor's visits required. Free shipping and automated deliveries ensure you'll never miss a day and you'll see results in three to six months. Get results you can run your fingers through. For a limited time, Nutrafol is offering our listeners $10 off your first month subscription and free shipping when you go to Nutrafol.com and enter the promo code HOOPS. That's H-O-O-P-S. Find out why over 4,500 healthcare professionals and stylists recommend Nutrafol for healthier hair. Nutrafol.com, spelled N U T. R-A-F-O-L dot com, promo code HOOPS, that's H-O-O-P-S. That's Nutrafol.com, promo code HOOPS. Angie's List is now Angie, the nation's largest home services marketplace. They're here to help homeowners get all their jobs done well. Angie has helped over 150 million homeowners care for their homes. Whatever your home project, big or small, indoor or outdoor, 
Come to Angie to connect with and hire skilled professionals to get the job done well. It's something that I've always been a big believer in. When Usually when you try to take on a project that you don't know how to do, it ends up just being a bigger headache as you try to learn and then you end up making mistakes and it ends up just not being worth it. Not only can a professional get the job done more efficiently, but you're also supporting local businesses in your area. With over 200,000 pros in their network, Angie makes it easy to research, compare, and hire pros to ensure a job is done well. With 29 years of experience, combined with new digital tools to simplify the process, Angie makes completing home projects easy. Angie has cost guides to tell you what others have paid for similar projects both nationally and in your area. The app is free and easy to use. We all know the difficulties that can come with home projects. Angie makes tackling your project as simple as possible from start to finish. Turn to Angie with confidence, even for major renovations or emergency repairs. Are you renting? Even renters can come to Angie for moving installations and cleaning. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I.com or download the app today. Um, this is from Silas. What NBA player would you compare your personal game to? Um, so this is interesting. I, I love talking about this kind of stuff. So uh, I talked a little bit about uh, my college basketball background in a podcast last week. Um, but when I was in college, I was just an athlete and I was very, I, I basically was a stretch four, um, who turned into a little bit more of a three, uh, my last year, but I was very unskilled. Like I could shoot the ball in a streaky way, but I could not dribble to save my life. I was unskilled, you know, but the last time I played college basketball was 2014 and I still play just as much to this day as I do then. I, like I tell you guys, I'm so in love with the game that I approach it like a professional. I train, uh, strength train every single day. I, I, I go and do skill work. I coach high school kids, so I have access to a gym and a gun and, and all those kinds of things. And I take the game very seriously, not because I'm trying to play professionally. This is my job. I love doing this. But it's just something that I love to do because I love the game. I like being able to step on a basketball court and be a good basketball player. It's it's something that is is like a personal passion of mine, irrespective of money or fame or anything like that, right? So like, um, as I've gotten older, I've gotten way, 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 way better at dribbling the basketball. Uh, so those of you guys who follow me on Twitter, you've seen the videos uh, that I do. Um, but for the most part, it's a combination. Every Talk to any young hooper out there. And those of you guys who are hoopers that are listening, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Your skill set is a combination of things you learn from all of your favorite players. Like I have a one-legged fadeaway that I use that originated from Dirk. The one that I use is kind of more like what Kevin Durant does. Uh, but that's that's a, a move that I saw on video from those guys, went in the gym, worked on it hundreds of times to learn how to do it. My fadeaway over my right shoulder and left shoulder, I watched Kobe Bryant film. I swing my right leg around when I fade over my left shoulder to try to square, a square up in midair. That took a ton of footwork reps. Learned that from Kobe Bryant, watching tape, going in the, the gym and working on it. I have a very, very deep arsenal of different step back threes. Uh, off of various dribble combinations. Those are mostly from uh, um, from James Harden. My other dribble combination threes are like Paul George. You know, my form, when I'm working on my jump shot form, I try to replicate Klay Thompson as much as possible. Like everybody's got a a, a bunch of, of of players that they that they look to as basically a um, uh, like a blueprint for how to develop your own skill set. And mine's always been a combination of those things. Now, if you went to the gym and you watched me play pickup, the guy that I'd probably resemble the most to you is like a Paul George. I am a guy that uh, is, I, I, I dribble the basketball a lot. Um, uh, I'm, I'm 
mostly a scorer. I uh, I go to off the dribble threes often, um, but I have the ability to slash to the basket and finish above the rim. Um, not as athletic as I was when I was younger. Uh, when I was younger, I was about 205 pounds and could get my head at the rim. Now it's I'm a few inches below the rim. I weigh 225 pounds, more of a back to the basket. I can use that more back to the basket type of stuff, but I try to do everything. Like I try to be multifaceted. I try to have floaters and scoop shots and, and back to the basket stuff, off the dribble stuff. And I, uh, when I play with my men's league team on Sundays, I play with uh, a couple of really good guards. So I work a lot of my off the ball shooting, moving, shoot, moving without the basketball, cutting things along those lines. I'm obsessed with the game. I know, again, I, I'm never going to get paid again for it. Or if I do, I have to convince my wife that I'm going to leave her for a little bit. Um, but I, the reality is, is to me, it's just fun. I love the, I, I love the process of becoming the best basketball player that I can be, even though it doesn't really result in anything, um, from a money standpoint. Um, this is from Vic, your opinion on the midseason tournament. I don't see any value at all, but maybe you do. And do you think play in is a fair way to decide the playoff spots? I actually like the play-in tournament. It's high stakes. It's uh, it's a, a rescue path for teams that deal with injuries over the course of the season. No issue with the play-in tournament. The midseason tournament, I think, is stupid. I don't think you're going to be able to get guys to care about it. My main issue there, too, is like it's beating around the bush and failing to acknowledge the reality of the situation. You guys know I'm big on self-awareness. I'm big on admitting when things are not good. And the, the reality is, is the league has an urgency problem. If you have, uh, just to make the math easy... If you're getting a million people to watch an average regular season NBA game that's on national television, and the numbers are different than that, but I'm just trying to keep the math easy. If it's a million, um, and you're dealing with everything that we're dealing with now, you're dealing with stars sitting out because of load management, you're dealing with injuries causing problems, you're dealing with back-to-backs and schedule losses and all of these different things that that are upsetting the product. To the point now where... Your TNT Thursday slate is almost always involving at least one of the core teams missing players, if not all four of them, you know, on a typical TNT Thursday night. It's a problem. That's the issue. So to me, if you can get it from 1 million viewers to 1.5 million viewers, again, I'm just using that for easy math, then that allows you to cut down in the number of games and maintain the amount of revenue as it pertains to what the advertising eyeballs um, uh, that the the broadcast companies can get. So my thing is like, I would shorten the season down to 60, 60, 66 games probably. Um, I think if you did that, you could get down to three games per, per week. Every single week, you'd have at least one stretch where you have two consecutive days off. If you did that, that basically bakes in load management automatically into the schedule. It's far more likely that the stars will play in all the games. You'll be able to have more practice time. The overall quality of play will be way better. The nationally televised games will have the stars on the floor more frequently. It will lead to an increase in ratings. It will get people to buy into the regular season. It also breeds urgency. The 66 games makes each game worth, you know, what's that? Roughly 15% more, right? Roughly 20% more. So at that point, you're 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 in you're basically injecting a ton of good and the price is you're cutting 16 games from the schedule right obviously that's a significant revenue loss but if it's a 20% revenue loss there all you need is a 20% increase in the quality of the product that will eventually manifest in the viewership needed to recoup those losses to me the midseason tournament is a bizarre attempt 
to address that issue by adding games, which doesn't make any sense to me. I obviously I think that I think the plan would shorten the regular season to 72 games and then add the midseason tournament. I don't see the point. Shorten it to 66. You'll get higher quality basketball. Higher quality basketball is what will save the NBA. The NBA playoffs were super interesting. You want more of that. You want more high stakes, high energy NBA games involving the stars. If you do the midseason tournament, you're going to have the exact same issue with stars sitting out key national uh, nationally televised games. Um, this is from D Faust. Uh, your reaction to Grant Williams' comments on the finals from the Long Shot podcast? A, a quick hitter here. You guys, Grant Williams basically just said, "I uh, I think we were the better team. They were more disciplined." Yes, absolutely. That's what I've been saying. However, what qualifies as a good basketball team? Like, I don't think "better" is the right phrase to to explain what Grant Williams is saying. If I was Grant Williams, what I would say is, "I think we were the more talented team," which is true, guys. Like, hey, Steph Curry just won a championship with. Andrew Wiggins as the second best player. That was not an ultra-talented Warriors team. They were talented. They certainly weren't devoid of talent, but they outkicked their coverage because they're extraordinarily well, extraordinarily well run from the top down. They have an owner who's willing to spend, general manager who actually knows how to build a modern NBA roster around switchy wings that can do the dirty work, a very good basketball coach. Their superstar is a fantastic leader and is the second best player in the league, in my opinion. And then all the guys down the roster were completely bought into the role. Very disciplined, very smart basketball players. That's why they won. That, to me, though, makes them the better basketball team. So I instead of saying Grant, instead of what Grant Williams said, which is, we were the better team, the Warriors were the more disciplined team, I would say the Celtics were the more talented team, the Warriors were the better team. But at the end of the day, that's just all semantics. Who cares? The Warriors have the trophy. This is from my friend Joe. Uh, JT, do you think there is any way possible Russ actually is on the team for the first game of the regular season? Thanks. I don't think so. I've talked to some people who would are, who are connected with the situation, and they say that that's the top priority. All the positive Russ talk out there is strictly for leverage. Here's the reality of the situation. It's the same issue with the Kevin Durant thing. You know, like Kevin, Sean Marks and Joe Sy are sick of being in the business of dealing with Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving. Why is that? They're basketball fans. They want to see a quality basketball product and the product out there on the court wasn't good enough for them and they believe that KD and Kyrie were distracting from that, right? So why would you bring them back into training camp and expect to breed a new basketball focus with Kyrie who wants out and has beef with the front office and Kevin Durant who wants out? So, and may or may not have beef with Kyrie at this point. Like, we don't know, right? So at the end of the day, like, bringing something like that to training camp immediately derails your attempt to start the season on a good note. This is why I, I, I'm not a huge fan of of monumental midseason trades, like midseason trades involving stars. Like, don't wait to the deadline to make a deal. Make the deal in the offseason. Because if you can get into training camp and sit down on that first day and Darvin Ham can go up to the whiteboard and he can write, here are our team identity. This is our team identity. These are our rules. These are our goals. This is the tone we're going to set. And from day one, you establish that and everyone is bought in. That's how you get seasons like the 2022 Warriors or the 20, 2020 Lakers, who from the start of the regular season are just whooping everybody's ass. Like the Warriors started 11-1, and one, I think, right? Or 14-1. and one. And the Lakers in 2020 started 24-3. and three. You know, like they were incredibly dominant from the start of the season because from the opening moment of training camp, they were just completely and totally locked in. Bringing Russell Westbrook back when everyone knows you've been trying to move him, 
with all of the issues that he's having, all that does is kick your season off on the wrong note. So I would be absolutely stunned if the Lakers brought Russ back. My guess is if they struggle to trade him, that he'll be waived or or something along those lines bought out. Um, this is from George. I think Ham is now LeBron's eighth coach in the NBA. Any advice for him, especially being a head coach for the first time? He won with Vogel, but he but seems he tuned him out in just two seasons after that. A um, couple things. First of all, LeBron's in his 20th season, so I don't think uh, if like if LeBron tunes him out when he's in his 22nd season, that's who cares at this point. The idea of a, of of a group buying into a coach and then eventually buying out. That's just normal. It's it's fatigue. Anytime that a person is in a, a uh, leadership role over you and they have disciplinary authority over you, uh, it can get fatiguing. That, that'll happen in every workplace. That's why people like changes the scenery. That's why you look for a new gig at your job or you look to transfer to a different location or things along those lines. You just, it's authority fatigue. So that that's normal. Um, I don't have, I'm, Darvin Ham already has way more coaching experience than I could ever have. So there's nothing that I could offer Darvin Ham as advice. My opinion on coaching based on my brief coaching experience with high school kids and being around all the college coaches that I was around in my life, my opinion is don't be, be, be reticent of, of uh, clinging to your core philosophy. Basketball is, can be played, coached, taught in so many different ways. Uh, I've never tried to tell you guys that my belief system about basketball is the, you know, the, the unimpeachable, perfect way to go about the game of basketball. This is just my belief. This is the way that I see the game. This is the way that I coach. This is the way that I would uh, manage a team, or this is the way that I would coach in the NBA, or this is the way that I would play in the NBA. That's just my opinion. That's all it is. You know, so with, with coaching, you have your core philosophy, which is what I just described, but then you have your roster. And your roster is going to have distinct strengths and weaknesses. And it's far more important for you to cater your coaching philosophy towards your strengths and away from your weaknesses than it is for you to inflict your core philosophy on people. Like, for instance, you guys know I'm huge on switching. I hate traditional bigs. I, I'm, a big, I'm a big believer in... Um, in uh, 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 I'm a big believer in driving kick, five-out basketball, not having someone in the dunker spot. I'm a big believer in in targeting players that are, you know, bigger rim-pressuring type of guys. You guys know how I see the game. But if I was running the Lakers this year, I would look at it like, we don't have great wings. We have Anthony Davis and two pretty solid backup center type of players, right? And I've got LeBron James. And then I've got a boatload of small, thin guards. So I don't know that we can do a ton of switching with this group. So even though my core philosophy is to switch, I think you got to run drop coverage with this group. And you've got to try to funnel everybody to Anthony Davis. You might even have to play big and keep Anthony Davis at the four a lot because we don't have enough, they don't have enough guys on the roster that are 6'6 six, six or taller, right? So it's very important for my core basketball philosophy not to cause me to inflict a poor strategy on my group. And so what'll be really interesting to see, and we don't know what the final roster is going to look like with the Lakers, but you know, let's let's take a look at how Darvin Ham cultivates his personal basketball philosophy, but adjusts it and and changes it to fit with the group of guys that he has with the Lakers. Uh, this is from King Control. Who's the best LeBron James teammate? Uh, Dwayne Wade, Kyrie Irving, or Anthony Davis? Not peak. 
just when they were playing together. To me, this is so cut and dry. It's Anthony Davis. Um, LeBron James has won four championships. He's won 10 conference championships. I have never, ever seen him get consistent support the way that he did from Anthony Davis. I have uh, never seen the game look as easy for him as it did in 2020 alongside that group, largely because of what Anthony Davis does. The first three championships that LeBron James won have become massively underrated over the years because you think of the Wade, uh, Bosch, Heat as like a super team and you think of the Kyrie, Kevin Love, Cavs as a super team. They weren't. Uh, the Miami Heat were a bona fide super team in the first season in 2011, which is why that 2011 finals was such a disappointing collapse. But after that, Dwayne Wade fell off a cliff, just wasn't even close to the same player, especially by the time they got to the 2012 postseason. It, and Chris Bosh, you know, in, a, in that third role, was never really a reliable scorer and by the end was basically just a stretch big. Not undercutting what those guys did in their careers, it's just the reality of what that Miami Heat team was. The 2012-2013 Heat were a lot closer to the 2022 Warriors. Very well coached, very well run, very bought in, very disciplined, very smart, but they weren't the most talented team. That's why the 2012 Thunder were picked as the favorites in Vegas to win the 2012 Finals. That's why the um, uh, that's why the 2013 Spurs were the favorites in the 2013 Finals. No one viewed the Heat as high talent. Same goes with the Cavs. Kyrie Irving, basically a scoring guard that's undersized, not great defensively. And Kevin Love was uh, was just downright bad a lot of the time when he was in Cleveland. So, like, to me, the 2020 Lakers with this real bona fide top-tier superstar next to, next to LeBron with really quality role players, that was his best team. That was their most comfortable and easy playoff run as a result of that. Anthony Davis was by far the best player that he played with. Um, let's see. We have time for a few more here. Uh, this is from Joe. What's your opinion on the Denver Nuggets? You haven't talked about them uh, much yet, so I'm curious. I think they're a top four team in the league in the West when they're healthy. Absolutely. I, I, I absolutely think they're top four. I'd actually put them third behind the Clippers. Um, if the Lakers do close the Kyrie Irving deal, I'd put the I'd put Kyrie Irving above them. But I'm a huge believer in what Denver does. I love the KCP signing. I think KCP is going to be a fantastic fit alongside that group. I think he's a better defensive player than Will Barton. And a, even though I don't think he's as skilled offensively, particularly putting the basketball on the floor, I do think he's better at specific things that he'll need to do alongside uh, Jamal Murray and Nikola Jokic. That's spot-up shooting and slashing. Uh, KCP is actually sneaky, one of the best closeout attackers in the league because he's such a good one-leg leaper. He's really good at jumping off of his left leg, and it, that's a specific skill for extension. Um, when you're being pursued by a shot blocker, you want to get the ball to the rim as fast as possible. He's very, very good at um, not only knocking down spot-up threes, but beating closeouts, ripping through to the right, and finishing with his right-hand uh, layup off the glass. He made a ton of huge plays in the NBA Finals that that were a huge part of why the Lakers won the title. I thought it was a great get for Denver. Loved the the extension that they signed for him as well. He's worth every penny. Loved that deal. Michael Porter Jr.'s health is obviously a concern, but just the core of Jamal Murray with Nikola Jokic and Aaron Gordon, uh, I don't know why they picked DeAndre Jordan. I have no idea why DeAndre Jordan keeps getting deals. I asked some people about it in Vegas, and the people that were all plugged in and connected say it's because DeAndre Jordan's excellent in the locker room. Maybe that's what it is, but I mean, he'll probably end up playing minutes. So, uh, but I'm just being nitpicky there. I think Denver is easily the third best team in the West. Absolutely in that second tier of contenders where if some things break right, they can win. I would, I would just put the Lakers ahead of them if they got Kyrie. 
Uh, this is from Kevin. What do you think is the biggest problem basketball-wise with the NBA today? Um, I talked about it a little earlier with the uh, with players being available, but in terms of like the actual uh, product, the on-court product, I would probably go with officiating and foul baiting. Not going to dive into that right now um, because it's something I've talked about a lot over the course of the playoffs. But the league needs the league needs to find a way to incentivize players playing basketball rather than trying to dupe the referees. It'll just make for a better television product, which will increase the ratings. And honestly, it's basketball blasphemy, and I think it's bad for the game. Um, the one thing I would say in terms of overall basketball development, uh, just in general, I think that uh, players, especially in the youth uh, bas- in youth basketball, are not building well-rounded enough uh, uh, basketball skill sets, particularly in the mid-range and the short-range. Um you know, there's a good reason why analytics is the analytics movement has dissuaded teams from being heavily rely, uh, rely heavily relying on mid range jump shooting. I get all of that, um, but every time the league does anything, the league evolves with it. If you look at offensive ratings throughout NBA history, average offensive ratings, they kind of cycle up and then they cycle down, they cycle up and they cycle down. And the main reason why is physicality from the refs like how much the refs allow what how liberal they are with the whistle but another big part of it is the defense has evolved too the offense can come up with you know high volume three-point shooting five out attack all these different things to try to generate quality offense in the nba and it will work for a little while but then the defense will adjust and one of the big things that you're seeing a lot right now is in the same way that offenses are geared towards generating high quality three-point shots and high quality rim attempts the NBA defenses are giving up driving lanes at the expense of chasing guys off the three-point line. So if you have a good funneling system, the Utah Jazz are actually really good at this in the regular season before all the uh, before they got blown up. But the idea is there is if you can chase a guy off the fr- uh, three-point line and you've got Rudy Gobert waiting under the basket, and as long as that guard can then rotate to the next guy, you're fine. Everything's covered. And so now there's this big opening in the middle of the floor between five feet and 25 feet where there's just nothing going on. There's not a whole lot of defense there. Rotation's not even trying to pick you up there. And so there's a shortage. uh, There's an area of opportunity there for the best mid-range scorers in the league to get high-quality shots. When you look at the math, yes, a wide-open three simply mathematically is worth so much more than a wide-open mid-range jump shot that it makes no sense to take the the mid-range jump shot. But if all of the three-point shots are contested because that's what the defense is geared towards taking away and the rim is occupied, then the mid-range shots, even though in a vacuum they're less valuable, if they're open, higher quality shots, the shot quality goes through the roof and those might actually be your best shots. I'd, I'd like to see more young basketball players building out the well-rounded game because you don't know what's going to happen over the course of, uh, of the, uh, over the years while you're trying to get to the league, how the game might change. You might need to be good at a specific thing, and you don't want to be caught, you know, with your pants down in the league because you're not ready for it. Um, so I, I would like to see players get a little bit better in the mid range. Um, this is from Leo. Why do you think MJ is the goat? I agree, he is the goat. Better score, better defender, and more of a team player in terms of fitting in a scheme than LeBron. So to me. I disagree on a handful of levels. Um, I think MJ is a more polished scorer. LeBron's a more effective scorer. I actually think LeBron's a better defensive player in terms of his versatility. But make no mistake, the uh, the reality is is the results favor 
Michael Jordan. There's an argument there that, that is almost unbeatable. If you've won six championships in eight years and you're so much better than all of your peers that just to mention one of them in your name in the same sentence with your name is like blasphemy. Like if someone said to you, I thought Hakeem was better than Jordan, you'd laugh them out of the room. If someone said, I thought Charles Barkley was better than Jordan, you'd laugh them out of the room. If they said that about any of the half dozen players that were competing with MJ at the top of the league that time, none of them were even in the same breath. And I thought LeBron was the best player of this era. And the vast majority of people would agree, but there were significant stretches where it was like, hey, KD's kind of right there. Or, hey, Steph's kind of right there. Hey, Giannis is kind of right there, right? Like, the, the LeBron, uh, only really in the, I would say, 2012, 2013, and then maybe 2017, 2018, depending on who you ask. There, I, I don't ever really, there wasn't really a consistent stretch where he was just monumentally better than everybody. And so, to me, that's not something that I'd hold against MJ. Like, uh, LeBron fans will be like, that's because MJ played worse competition. Your competition is your competition. And the reality is, is MJ could have worked hard enough to just be a little bit better than those guys. That's not what happened. He worked so psychotically hard that he was monumentally better than all of them. And as a result, he had the most dominant run in modern NBA history, six championships and eight tries. Uh, you guys know I'm a huge LeBron fan. LeBron got me to fall in love with the game of basketball. That's literally why I do what I do. I was raised on baseball and football. I saw LeBron playing basketball in 2006, fell in love with the game. I've given it everything I've had for the almost two decades since then. That's how much I respect LeBron. Huge fan of his. He's not He's not MJ. He's, he wasn't as dominant. He wasn't the 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 level of player that he was. LeBron very well might be a better basketball player in, as the game has evolved. I'd probably say that's true. LeBron's probably a better player if you plucked the peak of LeBron versus the peak of MJ. But the game of basketball is evolving. MJ was so far ahead of the curve that he was dominant. LeBron was slightly ahead of the curve and was slightly less dominant. To me, he's the second best player of all time. He'd have to win one or two more and continue to dominate for longer for me to kind of move him into that conversation. This is from Bradley. Um, why are you always giving up a franchise's future slash present? <laughs> this is funny. <laughs> for all-star players, when you have no certainty that a, that that player will bring you a ring, now instead of planning for a future where your young players are supposed to be the top brass, you have your ass in your hands. Basically saying that he disagrees with my ideology of being aggressive and pushing your chips in the middle. Look, man, that's just the way that I see it. Like, if I was running a team, I would push my chips into the table go for a title. As soon as I realized that it was a lost cause, I'd sell the house and accumulate assets. And then I'd push all the chips in the middle. I'd make a run. And then I'd pull back and I'd accumulate assets. That's just the way that I would do it. That, and the reason why I would do that is because I believe that is the most consistently successful. I think the Warriors are the exception to the rule. I think that they are lucky in the sense that they have players who are loyal. Steph is loyal. Klay Thompson is loyal. Draymond Green is loyal. So many times it ends up like the Thunder where you get James Harden with a wandering eye, Kevin Durant with a wandering eye. It ends up not materializing. So I think the idea of building organically through the draft and building that long-term you know, continuity, even though, even though I think that's absolutely what's best for the league, even though I want the league to try to structure the CBA to try to make that a little bit more feasible for the teams, I'm pro that. 
But in terms of under the current predicament, under the current rules, if I was running a team, how I would try to win is pushing my chips into the middle because I think that's the most consistently successful. You literally saw that with the uh, with the Raptors in 2019. You saw that with the Lakers in 2020. You saw that with the the uh, the Cavaliers when they pushed everything in for LeBron. You saw that with the Miami Heat. You, there are these little spurts there, but it, no one's wrong. Like if you if you want to go the other way. You're right there as well. It worked for the 2014 Spurs. It worked for the, um, uh, the it worked for the Golden State Warriors. The, again, like I talked about earlier, this is just my philosophy on the game of basketball based on the current rules. If the rules change, I'm never married to a strategy. This is just the way that I see the game. There's no right or wrong answer. This is from Joshua. Remember when you said Steph can? <laughs> I added some trolls in here. Remember when you said Steph can no longer average 30 on great efficiency and the only people who believed he could do it again were Steph fans? Not to be rude, I enjoy your content. So, uh, again, and I, I, I have Warriors fans still commenting under my YouTube videos like, you picked against us in the conference finals. And it's like, and I've had people that say that I picked against them all four rounds, which definitely didn't happen. I picked the Warriors to win the first round. I picked them to win the second round. I picked them to win the finals. Just against Dallas, I had I didn't have a good feel for the series. I didn't know what to make of it. Dallas just beat the best team in the league. Like, beat the living shit out of the best team in the league in Game 7 in Phoenix. And Phoenix was like eight games better than everybody in the regular season. As much as I believe in the Warriors, they weren't the most talented team in the league. Like we talked about earlier with the Boston Celtics. Like, the, the Steph's best teammate was Andrew Wiggins. Like, I just... It, it wasn't an anti-Warriors take. I'm just trying to predict something that's completely unpredictable. You guys know I'm a huge fan of Steph, and I'm, I'm a huge fan of the way the Warriors run their team. Don't ever take a prediction personal. Um, predictions are really hard to do. If I had to... Uh, if I could make predictions for a living, I wouldn't be doing this. I'd be in Vegas, and I'd be making money gambling on sports. That's not the case. I do my best to make predictions because that's kind of what this job requires. But I, I don't think we should put that much weight on it. Um, as far as Steph goes, like, guys, like, he had a 40, I think it was like a 41-game sample size where he couldn't shoot. Like, it wasn't, it was the longest, most extended, significant slump of his career, and nothing else was close. And he's a small guard who is now, I believe, 34 years old. So that's the only reason why I said that stuff. I, I, I was like, Steph may be on the decline. But what did I say after the finals? I was wrong. I said that Steph is at the peak of his powers. I said this is the best I've ever seen him look. I thought this was his most impressive playoff run. And, he very, and I said very clearly what happened during the regular season was clearly a blip and not a trend. I'm going to be wrong about a lot of stuff, guys. Like, I, I'm going to do the very best I can. The one the one promise I can make you guys is I'm not going to be a stubborn asshole. If I'm wrong about something, I'm going to admit it and move on. I was wrong about Steph declining too fast. It was never an anti-Steph thing. I was reacting to data. There was a significant chunk of data where, where he didn't shoot well. And then when I watched the games with my eyeballs, I was seeing Steph not getting as much separation, not... Um, not getting quality looks and then wasn't making them when he was getting them. That, 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 that was just the reality. And if here's the re, you're you Warriors fans at the time, if you were confident, if you were thinking Steph will be fine, you weren't basing it on what you were seeing. You were basing it on faith in Steph. Faith is 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 an invincible thing. There's nothing I can do to to convince you guys when you have that kind of faith. It's amazing that Steph uh, turned it around. I was wrong. 
don't ever take anything like that personal. I don't have any sort of beef with anybody with the Warriors or Steph. All right, let's do three more. This is from Felipe. Um, what's more important in your opinion, offense or defense? Talked about this earlier, um, so I won't go too much further into it, but I believe offense is more important strictly because it's something that you can't coach up or convince players to do by playing harder or anything along those lines, especially when you get to the NBA postseason. The defensive end, you absolutely can coach up. You absolutely can make up for a lot of limitations with effort and things along those lines. So if you have a supreme offensive talent, that's always going to beat a supreme defensive talent, in my opinion. This is from Jared. What was the toughest lesson that you've learned as a hooper? Uh, this is this is a good question. Um, for all of you young kids out there that are trying to play one day, however good you think you need to be in order to be good enough to succeed at the highest levels of college basketball and things like that, you just need to get so much better than you would even think. Um, there is a if you think you're a good shooter, you're you're. I'll, I'll give you I'll give you some basic parameters. Like you need to be able to go on the gun, the, the, the rebounding machine, or when you have rebounders and you need to be able to consistently hit between 70 and 80% of your threes when you're by yourself. Like when you're at the gym, standing alone on the court, 70 to 80% of them need to go in. That's, that's when you know you're a really good shooter. I had a coach once that would say, are you a shooter or are you a maker? Everyone's a shooter. Makers are guys that can, in the gym, knock down 70 to 80% of them when they're open. That will translate to you shooting 40, 45% in a game setting. Um, uh, ball handling. like it, Ball handling is extremely tedious. It takes a very long time. The progress is so difficult to track because it happens so little by little, and it's boring. No one likes to just go up and dribble a basketball. You'd rather shoot or work on or play basketball, like play pickup and things along those lines. Take the time to develop your ball handling it is by far the most valuable skill if you want to be a high-end basketball player, not a role player. Anybody, Any athlete can be a role player like I was in college who can grab rebounds and defend and do things like that. But if you want to be a, 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 a meaningful offensive fulcrum in, on a basketball team, you have to be able to dribble the basketball. Take the hours and hours and hours that it takes to develop that skill set. Um, and then most importantly, and Alex Caruso said this a long time ago, talking about the G League, understand the job you're trying out for. Like, uh, chances are you're not going to be so, so, so good that you can be Mr. All-American that does everything offensively and then the rest of the team does the dirty work for you. Chances are, even if you're very good, you're going to have to be reliable in the little things. Understand the position you're trying out for. You're not trying out for a guy who scores 20 points a game. You're trying out for a guy that can consistently run the coach's defensive scheme and all the elements of it and all the different spots on the floor. The guy that knows all the plays and runs them correctly. The guy that turns and boxes out a man every single time, gets back in transition defense, sits in a defensive stance and contains on the perimeter. Like Those are the things that coaches in particular are obsessed with. Never, ever, ever let the fun stuff, which I love the fun stuff. I love working on turnaround jump shots and step backs and things like that. Never let the fun stuff distract you from the fact that you have to be a good all-around basketball player to contribute uh, to any sort of good basketball team. Um, let's see. I'm going to do one more, but I'm going to look for an interesting one here. Um, and I plan. Uh, I, I try to read the YouTube comments as much as I can for feedback. So anytime you guys have other things you want the show to talk about or questions, comments, feedback, anything like that. Drop it in the YouTube comments. Drop it in my Twitter mentions. I also have my Twitter DMs open. You guys can send stuff to me there. Um, let's see. Okay, I'll do I'll do two more. Two more fun ones here. This is also from Felipe. Does your girl hoop too? 
So my wife, my wife was a very good high school basketball player. And uh, we went to the same high school, didn't know each other. It's kind of weird. Uh, we met for the first time many years after, uh, after high school. Uh, I shouldn't say many years. I, I believe it was five years after. So uh, my wife and I in August will have been together eight years. Uh, in October, we will have been married for four. She right now doesn't do anything with the game of basketball, but she actually played in college. Uh, she played at Hamlin University uh, up in Minnesota she only played for a half of a season, got sick of it, and got out. Um, one of my, the most interesting phenomenon that I've seen, I talked about this a little bit with Rachel Demita when we had her on the show, but I, I, I never get sick of the game, and I see so many people get sick of it. My wife was one of those people that like was devoted to the game of basketball like from the time she was 12 to the time she was 20. And then just one day she was like done with it, you know? And so she's not involved in the game anymore, um, but she understands it really well because she played in college. And so that's kind of nice for me because I think she just, she doesn't have the obsession that I have, obviously, but I think she understands my obsession, which is what allowed her to support me doing this. I did 152 episodes of State of the Lakers before I did this. So I've done hundreds and hundreds of, of post-game shows up late at night, affecting our social life, things like that. She just gets it. She digs it because she understands uh, where where my heart's at. And uh, every once in a while, we go out and shoot around a little bit, but uh, she doesn't really uh, come close to the game anymore. Um, last one. Favorite character in all of Star Wars. So <laughs> I am a huge Star Wars fan, always have been. Um, I actually have a Star Wars podcast that I just launched about two months ago. Uh, it's called Two Sons Podcast. You can find... The, I typically tweet out the links to that, um, but you can you can either find it on my Twitter or just Google Two Sons Podcast. Um, it's supposed to be a play on words because we're also from Tucson. I do it with my best friend, um, a guy in uh, Tucson who's a doctor, um, and him and I have just both been big Star Wars fans forever. We started covering the Obi-Wan series um, to have a really good time with it. I, I'm like one of those nerds that gets into the expanded universe and stuff. My favorite Star Wars character has always been Darth Bane. And if you've never read it, you absolutely have to read the Darth Bane trilogy. It's the best piece of expanded universe content. The only reason I'm accepting this as a, as a legal answer here is because Darth Bane technically is canon per the Clone Wars cartoons. Uh, but Darth Bane was the original Sith Lord who uh, discovered that there couldn't be hundreds of Sith because they'd all, they would always group together and betray the more powerful among them. And the Sith were becoming progressively weaker as they would betray each other. And so basically he went on a pilgrimage and went to all these different um, Sith temples and stuff and, and came back and was like, I uh, have discovered that we need to only have two Sith, the master and the apprentice, the one that teaches, blah, 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 blah. Um, but that whole book trilogy and that character, it, it's, it's a very cool look into the Sith and just how ruthless they are and how different the dark side is from the light side of the force. So there you go, little little window into my uh, second uh, passion, which one of my many passions, but uh, my fan for Star Wars. Like I said, if you want to hear me talk more about Star Wars, you just got to look for that Two Sons podcast. 
All right, that's uh, not bad. I think we went about an hour. That's our first ever mailbag uh, mailbag podcast. Um, I really enjoyed that. I want to do that more frequently, even if it's either just like uh, one that we do once a week or if it's one that we do as a segment at the end of the show. Maybe I can talk to the producers and maybe they'll be down for something like that. But I definitely want to gear the show more towards something that's a little bit more interactive with you guys. I know that it is eventually a plan to try to potentially do something where we can have you guys call into the show kind of like we used to do on Twitter spaces back when I was working with Raj. Um, no show uh, tomorrow because I'm getting on the cruise ship. Actually, this this one might actually end up being released tomorrow. Um, but on Friday, I believe I'll be able to record again. Not sure what we'll do then. Who knows if someone will get traded at that point. Uh, but anyway, that's all I got for today, guys. I sincerely appreciate you guys' support, and I'll see you in a couple days. Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere, like at your pregame barbecue. While you prep your meats, that grease trap you forgot to empty is prepping to smoke your porch, garage, and the car inside. And without the right home and auto insurance coverage, the cost to repair this could eat up your savings. So bundle home and auto with Allstate to save and get protected from mayhem like this. Bundled savings variant are not available in every state. Coverage is subject to policy terms and conditions. Kevin Hart here. This basketball season, Chase Freedom Unlimited is helping me cash back on everything. Even the sound system that auto-tunes the game. Curry from way downtown. Defense. Will the owner of a red sedan please visit guest services? Bet you've never heard cash back and sound like that. Cash back like a pro with Chase Freedom Unlimited. Chase, make more of what's yours. Restrictions and limitations apply. Cards are issued by JPMorgan Chase Bank and a member FDIC. This Father's Day, the Home Depot has the perfect gift to help dad be everything he can be. Because your dad is more than just a dad. He's the groundskeeper of the yard, the perfecter of the patio, and the cleaner of the clippings. This Father's Day, power dad's doing with the convenience and gas-like power of Milwaukee cordless outdoor tools from the Home Depot. Plus, get up to $150 off select Milwaukee tools. Find the perfect Father's Day gift at the Home Depot. How doers get more done. Shop for Father's Day now in stores or online at homedepot.com.